Well, good morning, High Point. It's good to be with you today. I want to thank those of you who are here in person. I want to also thank those who have joined us online. We're glad to have you with us this morning. Before I get started, I do want to invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight and communion service, which will be this Friday evening at 5 o'clock. Uh, our Christmas Eve service, in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful services we have here all year round. Our families all gather together as we celebrate uh, in this hour-long service. It's early enough for you to still be home with your family afterwards, so I'd like to invite you to come and join us. I know that you will be blessed if you do. Well, we're less than a week away from Christmas, and this is the last sermon from our series called Christmas, A Time for Hope, A Time for Healing. Today, we are going to look at the Christmas story as found in the book of Luke, chapter 2. So in preparation, you can go ahead and turn there. <clears throat> My sermon is going to be based on a very short and yet famous statement within this scripture I'm about to read that has lasting implications for every single one of us. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius, excuse me, was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And he, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The statement that I want to focus on this morning is there was no room for them. And because there was no room Jesus was born in a manger. What is a manger? Well, in the original Greek, the word can actually be two, used two different ways. It can refer to a stall for cattle in a stable, or it can referred, refer to a feeding trough that cattle use, usually made out of wood, often made out of stone. Either way, Jesus is born in an unsanitary place. He's not born in a palace. He's not even born in a hotel room. He's born in a barn, in a stable with a bunch of farm animals. Think about it. This is the son of God. This is the promised Messiah. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This historical event had been predicted. It had been prophesied. It had been studied anticipated for literal thousands of years, and yet when God actually does show up, when he sends the Messiah to save mankind, there's no room for him. There's no room for him to be born. You know, there is a fabled innkeeper who is often referred to in Christmas sermons and the telling of the first Christmas story. And yet he's not mentioned in the scriptures, but tradition tells us that he turned Mary and Joseph away. And the savior, of the, born, the savior of the world was born in a barn because there was no room in all of Bethlehem. Now, whether this innkeeper is a fable or whether it's truth, the issue at hand is none of the innkeepers in Bethlehem made room for the baby Jesus. 
And before you get too harsh on any of the innkeepers in Bethlehem, please understand, ladies and gentlemen, we do the same thing all the time. You do it, I do it, our culture does it. We just don't make room for Christ Jesus. In fact, we kinda wanna push him out of the way. And we certainly don't want him to be viewed in public. And, and we've seen this happening over the years, like in 1963, when the courts decided that Jesus should be banned from the classrooms in the United States of America. And prayer in classrooms was also outlawed. So there's no room in the classroom. And systematically, over the last 50 to 60 years, we've been taking Jesus out of all the rooms of our culture, out of the courtroom, out of the stateroom, out of the workroom. I mean, you can't even talk about Jesus at work. He's even been taken out of the newsroom, unless it's a joke to tell a story, to make fun of him. He's been removed in so many places that today Jesus doesn't even get to celebrate his own birthday. It's no longer Christmas. They've taken Christ out of the word and they've slapped an X in the middle of it. And now many refer to it simply as Xmas. Several years ago, there was an article in the USA Today front page headline that said, Jesus is no longer the reason for the season. It stated that Christians, Christmas is no longer about Jesus' birth. It is a month-long party with friends. It's a time when you take a break. It's a time when you go on vacation. Barry Cosman of the Institute for the Study of Secularism said this, it's been downgraded on the religious calendar. Come, O come, all ye partiers, now trumps, O come, all ye faithful, for nearly a third of Americans. They did a survey along with this article that showed today more parents tell their kids about the Santa myth than the true historical story of Jesus' birth. A national survey revealed that kids are more likely to hear the story of Christ's birth from Linus on a Charlie Brown Christmas special than to hear it from their own mom and dad. James Martin from the Huffington Post wrote that even though retailers owe their entire year's profit to Christmas, they now treat Jesus as, and I quote, he who must not be named. Like he's some villain in a children's book or something. So we're living in a world where we make no room for Jesus. We can say season's greetings or happy holidays, but you dare not mention Jesus because that's just too politically incorrect today. With the exception of the church of Jesus Christ, our culture has taken Christ right out of Christmas. And I really don't wanna talk about culture this morning because to be completely honest with you, I am sick and tired of popular culture. Can I just say I loathe popular culture? Can I say it? How can I say it more? You got a word for me? My wife is a vocabulary queen. Give me a word really quick. What I want to do this morning is I want to ask three simple questions. Why don't we make room for Jesus is number one. Number two is why should we make room for him? And the third one, how? do I make room for Jesus? Let's start with the first one. Why don't we make room for Jesus? Well, you first need to realize that your house, your, excuse me, that your heart is just like an inn because in your heart, 
you have many different rooms. Your heart is compartmentalized and it's based on the way you feel or prioritize different things. You have a family room in your heart and that's where you keep your time with your family. You have a work room in your heart. That's what you give to your job. You have a bedroom. That's where your intimate life and your resting life goes on. You have a dining room and some of us have really big dining rooms. You may have a room that's like an office where you study. And most people, if they own a home, you certainly have a garage. So you have a garage in your heart as well. And that's where you pile all the stuff that you don't have space for in all your other rooms. So if you're gonna invite Jesus into your heart, you gotta make room for him just like the innkeeper needed to make room in his own life. So let's look at the first question. Why don't we make room for Jesus? Well, there, there are the same three reasons the innkeeper had. And the first reason is this, we don't pay attention. We simply don't pay attention. We're not even aware most of the time when Jesus shows up. You're not aware of, of when God is in your life and yet he's around your life all the time. God shows up all the, all the time with opportunities you didn't know you were going to get. He shows up with problems you didn't know you were going to have and he shows up with words that other people speak into you. And God allows these things into your life so that you will grow, so that you will mature as a follower of Christ. Jesus shows up in your life all the time, but most of the time, we don't see him. Most of the time, we're just not at all tuned in. We're not paying attention to Jesus being around. This is a common problem. It even happened in the Bible. Jesus would show up and he'd be talking to people and they didn't realize who he was. They didn't know that they were talking to the son of God. One time, a couple of guys were walking down the road to Emmaus and Jesus starts walking with them. The scriptures tell us they saw him, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't realize it was Jesus. Another time, Jesus is sitting by a well when a woman comes up to give water, he asks her for a drink of water, but she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't know that he is the son of God. She doesn't know that he's the savior of the world. And she gets involved in a religious debate with him. Jesus then says to her, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, and if you only knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink and I would give you living water. She didn't notice. She didn't pay attention. She didn't recognize. When Jesus shows up in your and my life, we often do the same thing. We're often unaware of him. A clear example of this is the month that we're currently in, the month of December. It's hard not to see Jesus during Christmas time. There are nativity scenes everywhere. There are Christmas specials on TV. There are posters and signs of all kinds. There's even the continual playing of traditional Christmas songs and music about Jesus flowing through the loudspeakers and in the stores that you shop in and in office buildings. We're just not tuned in. Right now, there are people out this morning doing some of their last minute shopping and they're overhearing words like, born is the king of Israel. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. But they're totally oblivious. They're not even noticing Jesus when he's around. So let me bring some focus to this story. 
In Bethlehem, there were many inns that were built for the purpose of taking care of travelers. So there was places for travelers to go, but the problem was that they were all booked. There was no vacancy. Guests had occupied the other rooms. The spaces had all been filled. And this runs parallel to your and my heart. Your heart and my heart was made to hold God. You were created to have God inside of you. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, your life is not going to make any sense to you. But what happens is we fill our lives with all kinds of other things. We invite other guests in. We rent our heart out to other things. And there's no room left for Christ Jesus. Our hearts are filled with other ideas, other interests, other values, other loves, and other commitments. And that leads me to the second reason why we don't make room for Jesus. We crowd our lives with other things. We just fill it with stuff. Here's a profound truth that you've come to realize in your life. Stuff accumulates. Am I right? I've discovered that in a garage at nighttime when the lights are off, that stuff miraculously seems to multiply. <laughs> Can I have a witness? Every day you go into your garage, it seems like more stuff gets added. Well, the same thing happens to our hearts. But let me tell you, the purpose of your heart, your heart was made for God. It was not made to hold all of this extra junk that we're constantly cramming in there. And so because our hearts get so crammed filled with other junk, our hearts aren't available. You've rented out your heart to other borders so that God can no longer get in. Just like there's no room in your garage, most of you for your car, because you got so much stuff in there, there's no room in your heart for God. And by the way, that's a pet peeve of mine. You have a garage, put your car in it. <laughs> Don't park it on the street so I got to worry about backing into it. Put it in your garage. Got that off my chest. I feel a lot better. <laughs> so you have no place. You have no space. You've overbooked your life. Now that might not be so bad, except that the results are tragic. Because when your life is filled with other things, you don't have room in your life for the gifts that God wants to give you. Did you know that God wants to give you gifts? Did you know that the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God? Before you were even born, God planned the gifts that he wanted to give you, relational gifts, emotional gifts, spiritual gifts, financial gifts, health gifts, career gifts. Before you were born, God planned your life, and he made you for a purpose because God has never made anything without a purpose. But here's the catch. You can totally miss your life's purpose by not following Jesus. God does not force you to follow him. He wants you to choose him by faith. His desire is that you would have a meaningful relationship with him. He could have made every one of us like a little bitty puppet, but he didn't. He says to us, he said, here's my plan, and here's my purpose for your life. 
You go with my plan, you will receive all the gifts that I have planned for you throughout your lifetime. Or you can choose to go your own way. The problem is that most of us say, I'm going my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own God. I am going to call all the shots. Thank you very much. And because you choose not to go God's way, you end up with broken lives and broken relationships and and broken health and broken dreams. You end up banging your head against a dead-end wall over and over again. You end up with disappointments and discouragements and things in your life that you were never designed to carry. But you brought them into your life because you said, I'm gonna go my way instead of going God's way. You miss the gifts of God by having your heart too crammed full with other stuff. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, an unspiritual person has no room for the gifts of God. In fact, to them, they are folly. To them, they can't even recognize his gifts. And so because your life is already so crammed full with other stuff, you can't put anything else in, and sadly, that includes Jesus. And this kind of overcrowded life perfectly describes Californians in the 21st century. We overbook our lives. We overspend our budgets. We overestimate our own strength. And we walk around tired all the time because we've overbooked our hearts. I like how the Message Bible describes it in Mark 4.19. They are overwhelmed with worries about the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. And the stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. So our lives get overbooked. Our lives get overcrowded. And by the way, this is the very reason why somebody can go to church their entire life and still not be transformed. It's because of this crowded heart syndrome. You come and you hear a kernel of truth. You get a little seed of wisdom planted in your heart and you think to yourself deep down inside, yeah, yes, That resonates with me. I need to act upon that. I need to do that. But then you go home and you are immediately distracted by all the things you have to do and by all the things that you want. And you forget about it. And that seed of truth gets gets choked out and it never grows into a fruit-bearing tree. And most of what crowds out our heart is trivial stuff that isn't going to matter five years from now, much less 50 years from now or eternity. God wants you to have more enjoyment. He wants you to have more fulfillment and less stress by simplifying your life. And I'm not talking about evil things here. You can fill your life with good things, really good things, and still not have time for God. You can go to church, you can be involved in ministry all the time and be so busy working for God that he doesn't have any time to work in you. This is a real challenge for those of us who are professional ministers. I don't want to be a professional Christian. 
It's very easy to be a professional Christian. I get paid to be a Christian. Uh, That's not true, but I get a salary to do what I do. And I have to be careful that I am allowing God to do a work in me continually. Because you can get to the point where you feel like I've gone as far as I'm going to go. That is the lie from the pits of hell. We all have somewhere to go. We are all on a trajectory upward. It's us that stops along the way, and we need to keep moving forward. That's why the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Let me translate that down for you. Sit down, be quiet, chill out. And here's probably the most important one. Listen. You're doing all the talking. You're giving all the commands. You know, if you're like me, your supervisor, you're constantly talking to people. I need you to do this. Like Chris, Jeffrey, I need you guys to do this. And it can become a part of your, your normal routine because you're the guy giving the orders. You're giving orders all the time. You're even giving orders to God. You need to relax. You need to stop doing so much. You need to let God do more in you. It's much more relaxing and it's much more fulfilling. One example of this is this biblical story of two sisters named Martha and Mary. They had invited Jesus over for dinner and he accepts their invitation and he arrives to their home and immediately Mary, she figures out what's really important. She realizes this is Jesus, the Son of God, in our home. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us. So she sits down at the feet of Jesus, and she chills, and she shuts up, and she starts listening. She starts listening to what he has to say, while Martha, her sister, on the other hand, she's busy in the kitchen. Martha's worried about the hors d'oeuvres and if everything else is in place. Here's where the story picks up in Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made, had to be made. This is just like Christmas. You can can spend the entire month of December doing all kinds of stuff. Buying and wrapping gifts, decorating the house with lights and putting up a tree, sending out cards, preparing all kinds of sweets and meals. But have you made any room for Christ Jesus? We're so busy with the preparation that we find we have no time for him. There's no room in our heart, and it's overcrowded. Let's continue in that story, Luke 10, 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. What a thing to say to a guest. (laughs) Talk about being put on the spot. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary is taking time to get to know the Son of God. She's getting to know Jesus. Why? Because everything else you do isn't going to matter in eternity. Not your career, not your hobbies, not your bank account. None of it is going to last 
beyond your lifetime. The only thing that is going to last beyond your lifetime is your relationship with Christ. And God put you on this earth, not just for you to take up space and suck in air into your lungs and, and work real hard and then retire and then one day die. He puts you here so you could get to know him, to know him and to love him the way that he knows you and loves you. That's going to last forever and ever and ever. So Jesus says, Mary's got it all figured out. She's aware of the one thing that's worth being concerned about. You know, as your pastor, if I could give you any gift this Christmas, it would be for you to have the ability to figure out what is the one thing that matters the most. Getting to know your creator and building an intimate relationship with him so that you can go and be home with him forever in eternity when your life on this earth is over. But please don't be deceived like so many people are. You can do lots of good things. You know, and, and, and that's the problem with the world. They think to be a Christian, you have to do good things. But that's not what it is. It, it, being a Christian is what Christ did for you. It has nothing to do with what you have done. Do you understand that? It's the work that Christ did on the cross. You can do lots of good things, and you can still not have any room for Jesus in your heart. Here's the deal. If Satan can't make you a bad person, then what he's going to do is he's going to make you a busy person. He doesn't really care what distracts you. It doesn't necessarily have to be evil and sinful as long as you pay no attention to God. You get that? That's his mission. That is his plan, to distract you to, away from, from having any kind of relationship with the Lord. It could be all kinds of good stuff. Good things that are proper. In fact, many of them are all gifts from God, but they're not God. And you can't have them at the center of your life because when all else fades away, you fall apart. If your job is the center of your life, then when you lose your job, you fall apart. If your savings account and your investment portfolio, for, portfolio is at the center of your life, and, and the market crashes, then your life falls apart. But if God is at the center of your life, nothing can shake you because it can't be taken from you. Here's the third reason we don't make room for Jesus. We really don't think we need to make room for Jesus. We have this sense of self-sufficiency. We say, I'm doing fine on my own, really? You know, you may be living a good life, and that's great. I'm proud of you. But wouldn't you like to know about a better life if there was one available? Because there is a better life to be experienced. The good life is good, but the good life isn't good enough. You need a better life. When I was a kid, my mom fed me nothing but Southern cooking. Oh, it was good food. I loved it. I thought it was the best food in the world. That was until I got older and I discovered Italian. 
and Chinese and Mexican. By the way, that's what they're going to be serving in heaven is Mexican food. It's God's food. I want you to know that. So you better like Mexican food because there's going to be a lot of it. At that moment, I went from living a good life to living a better life. I broadened my horizons. If there is a better life out there than what you are living, wouldn't you at least want to check it out? Wouldn't you want to inquire about it? I think to do otherwise is simply unwise. This is what the fabled innkeeper did. He said, why do I need any more guests? Sorry, no room. The place is already sold out. I've made a bundle. I've bankrolled it all. I really couldn't care less about anybody else because my life, my inn, my rooms, well, they're all filled. And a lot of people say that to Jesus every day. I don't have room for you in my heart. It's just too full of other stuff that I've prioritized ahead of you, God. There's really such an arrogance about that. There's a self-satisfaction that doesn't realize what we're missing. Psalm 10.4 says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That term, wicked man, it describes those who have yet to receive Christ. They are unrepentant and they serve other gods. What do I mean when I say they serve other gods? Well, if you want to know what your God is, it's whatever you think about the most. That's what's most important to you. For some people, their God is getting ahead in their career. For some people, believe it or not, their God is their family. For other people, their God is making money or sports or a variety of other kinds of things and hobbies and, and things that you do. Whatever is first place in your thoughts, whatever you think about the most, that's your God. Somebody said, if you also want to know what your God, look in your checkbook and see who you write your most checks to. I'm not talking about your mortgage payment. I'm talking about the fun stuff that you do on the side that you spend most of your money on. That's your God. And the Bible says that anything that's not God, well, it's called an idol. It's a false God. And really, the deeper reason for our inattention is we really don't want God. We say, I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, God, you created me, and yeah, Jesus came and died for me, but you just stay in your lane, and I'm going to stay in mine. There's only one problem with that. You miss the very purpose that you were created. You were not made to be disconnected from God. And furthermore, you don't have any power in your life when you are disconnected from God. In the last several years, in the North State, we've been dealing with a bunch of power outages due to wildfires. Have you ever noticed how when the power is off, all of your appliances are worthless? A disconnected toaster or blender or hot water heater, if it's electric, is worthless without its power. Those things cannot fulfill their purpose unless they are plugged into the source of power. Likewise, you cannot fulfill your life's purpose unless you are plugged into the God who made you and who offers you that power. So we run out of power. 
And yet our human, our human nature is to wander around and say, forget you, God. I'm gonna do things my own way. I got my own plans. I know what's gonna make me happy more than you do. So we just kind of wander off. We're like sheep who are natural wanderers. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In other words, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next year. I don't know whether I'm coming or going or where, what I am doing or what my purpose for life really is. We've all gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and, and we've gone our own way. That's the bad news. But there's good news. Is that when I make room for Jesus, I'm not lost anymore. He becomes a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the path of life. And now I can live boldly and I can live comfortably. Why? Because I know that God is at the helm of my life. He is offering the direction and the guidance that I need. Because I'm not smart enough within myself. I just don't have enough of my own power to navigate in this world in which we live. And because of that, let me address question number two. Why should we make room for Jesus? Well, I want to offer you two reasons that you need to open up every room of your heart to the Lord. Number one, it's imperative for you to know your creator and your savior. He made me. He saved me. So I need to know that. John 1, 1 through 4 said, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus didn't just start in Bethlehem 2,021 years ago. All things were made through him. That includes you and me. And without him, nothing was made that was made. He made it all. And so guess what that means? That means he owns it all. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. His light helps me to see in the dark what I cannot see any other way. So I definitely want to make room in my life for the Lord Jesus Christ because he made me, and because he made me, he wants to make my life a whole lot better. Like they say, when in doubt, consult the owner's manual. When in doubt, read the directions. That's the Bible. When in doubt, you talk to the inventor. God invented you, but he didn't just create you. He also saves you. And the, that's the reason he came on Christmas, to die for your sin, to die for my sin. Let me explain this to you. We've all messed up, every one of us. I think that's common knowledge. Wouldn't you agree? I don't measure up to my own standards, let alone God's standards, and guess what? Neither do you. I don't know anybody who is perfect. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We have all been guilty of sin and rebellion. So I not only want to know my creator, I want to know my savior who came to die for my sins. Why? Well, here's the reason, and please follow me on this. Heaven is a perfect place. No sorrow. No sadness, no sickness. It's incredible. 
It's full of colors you haven't even seen yet, nor could you describe. It will be such an amazing place. You think the world is cool? Oh my goodness. We can't even fathom what heaven is gonna be like. And heaven is perfect. But guess what? I'm not perfect. And by the way, neither are you. I stopped being perfect about the second day I was born. So if God lets imperfect people into heaven, it's not gonna be a perfect place anymore. If God let all of us into heaven with all of our imperfections, heaven is gonna be no better than earth because we will take with us our lusts, our ego, our pride, our betrayals, our rejections, all of our hurts, all of our sin, making heaven no better than earth. So our loving father, he came up with an amazing plan. He says, here's what I will do. I will send my son. I will birth him into the world at Christmas. He's going to live a perfect life in your stead, in your place. And then he's going to die for all of your sins so that you don't have to pay the price for them. They've been paid in full. Then you get to go scot-free into heaven by just trusting him. What a deal. So the Bible says this in the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus the Christ, that whosoever believes in him, whoever means anybody, I don't care what your background is. I, I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what religion you come from or whether you're an atheist. It doesn't matter because the Bible says whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a good deal. Yeah. I get to be a part of God's family and that is one family that is going to last forever. In John 1.11, it goes on, it says this, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. We've closed him off. We've closed up our hearts. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's how you become a child of God. It says they believed in his name. That's how you become a part of God's family and God becomes your father. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Isn't God the father of everybody? Listen, God created everybody. God loves everybody and God has a plan and a purpose for everybody. But God is only the father to those who become a part of his family by meeting the family requirements, which is very simple. Believe in the son that he sent at Christmas. That's the condition. So not only do I get to be a part of God's family, but I get to know my creator and my savior, which is such a big deal. But in addition, there are benefits to being a part of his family in the here and now, right now, for the rest of your time that you walk on this earth. Well, the second reason that you need to open every room of your heart to Jesus is to overcome your fears and enjoy a life of peace and true joy. Those are all things that God says he will provide for you when you invite Jesus into your life and give him room. You see, you give him more room and more room 
and he gets more and more in direction and control of your life. He gives you a real purpose for living. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 25 years, and in that time, I have lived a life of purpose. And let me tell you something, there is nothing to be compared to it. It really does work. There was a famous minister who received a letter from a very famous business leader. It was a very gut-level letter where the man wrote this. He said, in the eyes of everybody around me, I am a raving success. But inside, I feel insecure, insignificant, and small. It obviously took a lot of guts for this very well-known businessman, highly successful businessman, to humble himself, to be so transparent, to write those words to another human being. But what he's talking about is what psychologists commonly call the imposter phenomenon. A lot of people have written books about this, and basically it's summed up this way. If I'm so successful, why do I feel so fake? If I'm so successful, why don't I feel more, why don't I feel more fulfilled? If I'm so successful and I'm living this good life, how come I still feel like there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing? The answer is that there is something missing in your life. The answer is that you were made for more than money. You were made for meaning. You were made for more than success. You were made for significance. You need to move beyond success to a higher level of living. Success is not enough because success does not satisfy. If you could talk to any billionaire in this world, I believe that they would all agree that their money makes their lives easier in a lot of ways. But their money does not give them meaning. It does not give them purpose. A life without meaning and purpose is petty. It is pointless. It is trivial. And you were made for so much more than that. What comes to mind when I think about this letter from this successful businessman to that famous pastor is found in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 12 and 13. I particularly love and can grasp the message, the way the Message Bible puts it. So I'm going to do it in the Message version. It says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. The antidote to feeling small in this world is to make room for Jesus. Don't shut God out of your life because he will allow you to live an expansive life openly. Your life is not small. Sadly, the way we are living our lives is small. You see, your life, my life is extremely significant. It is so significant that God cared enough for him to come to this earth on Christmas. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And then he died on a cross for your and my sins. And if you want to know how much God how much you matter to God, then I want you to look at Jesus, those illustrations of him hanging on that cross with his arms spread wide open. And he's saying, this is how much you matter to me. You matter to me so much that I would rather die than to live without you. He says, I love you that much. So your life, it's extremely significant. 
And yet so many people are choosing to live their lives in tiny, small, and insignificant ways. Why? Because you've crammed your rooms so full of stuff that you haven't put in what really matters. But when you leave room for God, when you invite Jesus to take over the rooms of the end of your life, he blesses you with so much. And three of those blessings are what we've covered during this series throughout Christmas. First, God heals you from your fears. Those fears that before used to paralyze you, well, they no longer do. Because, when you, because you are now walking closely with the one who proves all those fears to be unfounded. God doesn't want you to live in fear. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. There's that power again. And of love and of a sound mind. This is but one of the many gifts that you receive when you make room in your heart for Jesus. Then he brings you his peace. And it's a different kind of peace than the world offers. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that no matter what's going on, you are still at peace knowing that God is in control of it all. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice Jesus says, my peace, because the peace that the world offers is temporary. It is totally circumstantial. If I've got a good job, I'm at peace, but when I lose my job, I'm not at peace anymore, and so on and so on. Jesus says, I don't give you that kind of peace. I give you my peace. What does that mean? It means that you have a peace that when there's no reason to have peace, that you can't visibly or even physically see it, you are still at peace deep down in your heart. Everything around you may be chaotic. Everything around you may appear like it's going into the dumper. Nothing seems to be working in your life. And yet for some unexplained reason, you are at peace. This is the peace that passes all understanding. And it can only come from Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And finally, he brings you true joy. It's a joy that's internal. It's not affected by outside circumstances. It's not to be confused with happiness because happiness comes from external circumstances. So when good things are happening, I'm happy. The problem with happiness is this, it can leave as quickly as it comes. But joy, on the other hand, joy is internal. It's not affected by outside events or outside circumstances. Those are the three things, ladies and gentlemen, that you are going to need this upcoming new year and for the rest of your days. Follow me on this. The fact that this fabled innkeeper didn't make room for Jesus didn't stop Jesus from being born, did it? And likewise, my or your actions didn't stop God either. He has a plan. And when this innkeeper said no room, it didn't hurt God. It hurt the innkeeper. He missed the biggest blessing of his life. He missed the privilege of housing the birth of the Son of God. It was the innkeeper who got hurt in this story. 
Well, the same thing is true of you and me. When you keep God out of your life, you won't overcome your fears, and you won't have his peace that passes all understanding, and you won't have true joy. You might be happy for moments, but you'll crash from your happiness, and you need all of these things in order to navigate in this crazy world in which we live. Amen? Liz, would you come forward? I'd like to ask all of you to stand to your feet, if you would. Now let's answer question three. How do I make room for Jesus? How do I make room for Jesus in my in my heart, my life? The answer is simple. In fact, God made it so simple that even a child could understand it. The answer is only three words. Invite him in. This is not rocket science that we're talking about here. Although a lot of denominations and speakers have a way of confusing the issue. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I will come in. And I can't think of a better Christmas present for you to receive this morning than to receive the Christ of Christmas into your life. So I want to give everyone in this place an opportunity to invite Jesus. And I want to lead you all in a prayer that will invite him into your heart. And I want everyone here, including those who have already received Christ, to repeat these words after me. And I want you to do it loud and strong. And I want you to do it to encourage those who desperately need to pray this prayer. Because if you, if you speak these words with sincerity in your heart, if you truly want to open your heart to the love of Christ, today will be your day where you receive salvation. And immediately, the Spirit of God will indwell you and you will start to live a new kind of life. And it's a life that will be led by the Lord Jesus Christ. So will all of you please repeat these words after me loud and strong together. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. The name above all names the only name whereby I can be saved. I want to make room in my life for you. I want to accept you as Lord and Savior. So I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And become my Lord today. This Christmas, I celebrate the Christ of Christmas. And I will do so all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family of God. Amen. You just made the best decision of your life. And what you did today is what Christmas is all about. That's why Christ came. We as a church would be privileged to come alongside of you 
and to help you in your Christian journey, to help to disciple you, to help you to see you grow in your Christian faith. We have discipleship classes that meet on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. prior to this service. You can jump in at any time. It's a rotating class for new believers. Uh, it's 13 weeks. At the end of the 13 weeks, you receive a study Bible that's been customized that we want you to take with you so you can continue to study the Word of God. And there are other classes that follow that. I'd like you to take advantage of that. It will change your life. You will start to understand what living the Christian life is all about. We don't want to just see you get saved. We want to see you grow in your faith and in your trust of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and close this service in prayer. If you would all bow your heads with me. Precious Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas, the most incredible holiday that we celebrate as we celebrate the arrival of your son who came to set us free. And I thank you, Lord, for those who you've set free today, both in this place and online. I thank you for their souls that have been one. Pray that you'll help us to help them as they do their and walk their Christian journey. And Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would build people up and not tear them down. I also pray that we would be bright lights in this very dark world. Let our light shine so brightly, the love of Christ be so strong within us that people will come to us and say, what is it that's different about you? And then, Lord, you open that door and we can share your goodness with them and perhaps lead them to Jesus Christ. And if nothing else, invite them to come to church with us. So, God, use us this week until we gather together again. Use us. Give us an opportunity to share your love and your faithfulness with someone else. Pray that you will keep us safe from, from any sickness, any disease that might befall us. I also pray that you would keep us safe from any accidents that might occur that would prevent us from coming together again. I pray your blessings over each person here today and their family, that this Christmas, this Christmas Eve, this Christmas day coming up would be the best of their life, that you would reveal yourself to them in a new and a special way, and this will be the most memorable Christmas of their life. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the presence of your spirit that's here. Thank you for what you have done, and thank you for what you have yet to do in and through us as we open up our hearts to you. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here today.